Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we begin today's episode of Potterless, I have two very quick announcements. First, this weekend is PodCon in Seattle. I'm going to be there. If you're going to be there, I'd love to meet you. The easiest way for us to meet is going to be at the Audio Drama Podcast Meetup. Now, I am not an audio drama, but a lot of my friends are, so I'm just jumping into that meetup and pretending that I fit in. If you want to find me, the easiest way to do it is to follow Potterless on Twitter or Facebook. I will be posting about my whereabouts, when I'm there, where the meetup is, etc. It's the simplest way to do it. For the first 10 people that come up and say hi to me, I will be giving out Wizard on Bumper stickers. I got a 10-pack on Cyber Monday. I'm very excited to give them out to you guys, so I would love to meet you there. Second, it is the beginning of the month, meaning that we donated $1 for every member of our team at patreon.com slash potterless. There are 63 patrons for potterless, meaning I donated $63. And the charity that I chose was an organization that does water filtration systems for families in Puerto Rico. Getting clean water is still an issue over there. So this charity is really helping out. So thank you to all of our patrons for making this possible. Speaking of patrons, we have new patrons. Welcome to the team. So welcome Zoe Cop Weber, Mary Moss, Frank Chiodo, and Drew Simchik. Thank you guys so much. And of course, thanks to our producer-level patrons, Andreas, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Michael, Sadie, Emily, Chandra, Jesse, Maggie, Natalie, Deborah, Daisy, Clow, Michael, Sean, and Alexander. These producer-level patrons never stub their toes on corners or doors or anything like that. And without further ado, let's get into episode 30 of Potterless Podcast, covering chapters 20 through 22 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, starring Kelly Beckman and Alex Moodhart. Another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 25-year-old man reading a series of children's novels for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert, and today I am joined by two very special guests, which makes this a monumental, groundbreaking episode of Potterless. The first with two guests at the same time at a live recording. Very excited. So first, sitting directly to my left is my girlfriend and web designer for Potterless, <laughs> Kelly Beckman. Kelly, do you want to say hello? Hello. And on the internet via Skype all the way in California is Alex Moothart, who you might remember from the first real episode. Alex, how's it going? Oh my God, you made my location sound so exotic. <laughs> <laughs> also, I regret you calling these children's books. Okay, in my defense, when I go to the library to check out the books, I have to go to the children's section. Oh my God. I understand. And though, now that I've read them, that like one through three are really children's books, and then four through seven, I'm guessing, are more like young adult books. But like the first three are pretty kiddie. It's like in the children's book section, not the young adult section? No. What? Well, that's I mean, a crime. I, I don't know. Get, get mad at the West Seattle Public Library because I that's. Will where I get my books. I'm going to the library tomorrow to see where they are here. Oh, here in New York. I was going to yeah. say, you're going to the Seattle Library tomorrow? You're going to book a flight? <laughs> I will expensive. not be going to any library anytime soon. 
<laughs> well, knowledge is power, and having fun is not hard when you have a library card. So the reason oh that I brought my God. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that I brought you two guys on this podcast is because Alex had mentioned that this is his favorite book, which is rare because pretty much every single person I've ever asked has the fifth as their least favorite book, Kelly being one of those. So I thought it would be interesting for an episode to have one person who loved the book and one person who hated the book to kind of talk it out. So Alex, why is this your favorite book without spoiling anything past these chapters? Noted, and I will respect Uh, that. Thank you. (laughs) This is a safe space. Um, I will also put out there that I'm fully aware that this book is not well-liked, so I realize the odds are not in my favor. Mm -hmm. But I just need everyone to think real hard and look within (laughs) themselves to realize that this book is the turning point of the series. It's very important and essential to the rest of the story, line, plot, if you will. Okay. That's why I love it. All right. The one thing I have heard is that the end really brings it together. And granted, I've not gotten to that part, but I have so far seen why people dislike it. But Kelly, why do you hate it? Okay, so... (laughs) Without giving away any spoilers. I have so many answers to this. Okay, we get it. You hate the book. (laughs) So, so... uh, First of all, this is my least favorite book after I first read the the entire series. So back, like, one read through them, mm-hmm. the fifth was my least favorite. And, like, after reading all the books and knowing how the story plays out, I, I see your point as how this is a turning point and how it kind of brings the, the whole series into the next part. But mm-hmm. on the other there's hand, always a but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just... And I I love that there's so much Harry Potter. I love that there's so many pages of it out there to read. I, when I was in the seventh book, I put it down two chapters out from the end and didn't read the two chapters for like a week because you I wanted didn't, to draw I didn't it out. want it to be over. It's like when you put so, ice cream back in the freezer. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I, I love anymore. that there's so much of it. But at the same time, like it was so difficult to get through and there was so much unnecessary stuff and I love the world building I love all of the like really intricate details but there was just a little too much of it in here for me and I also have like a slight resentment towards it because I know a lot of people who stopped reading the Harry Potter series because because of this book because they got because they got halfway through how can you get four and and a half books through they couldn't well I mean how old were you when this came out that's valid and it was like what like a 13 year old specifically I'm talking about my cousin my cousin's Uh like 14 or 13 or something when he's reading this book and gets like a third of the way through it or maybe halfway Mm -hmm. and then puts it down and won't pick it back up. And I have met multiple people who said the same thing. I gotta say, and I mentioned this in the episode for the chapters that mattered, if I wasn't doing Potterless, I probably would have stopped reading it. (gasps) When he was was angsty Harry in the beginning, okay, so like five chapters in, the only thing that's happened is Harry's gotten mad at everyone and they've cleaned an old house. And I was like, fuck this. (laughs) This <laughs> like like okay so I just couldn't deal with angsty Harry before every book would come out like when the second book came out I read the first and then the second when the when the fourth book came out I read one two three and then the fourth as it came out I timed it so like you know I read or sure. done as the book was coming out when the sixth book came out. I was, like, so frustrated that I had to read through the fifth book again. Mm-hmm. However, after the sixth book came out and I read the sixth book and I was, like, another step into the series, mm-hmm. and then right before the seventh book came out, I did my whole reread again, it was easier to get through because okay. you're looking for more Easter eggs in it. Sure. 
and they're hidden deeper because there's okay. more to go through, but it's it's there. I will also just say, shout out to my brother, first of all, because he's an avid listener of Potter's okay, podcast. Yes. And he and I don't agree on pretty much anything, and we're the most different people you will ever meet. Okay. But for some reason, we both have this book as our favorite book. Really? Oh, look at that. Brotherly yeah. love at its finest. No other book makes you feel such frustration. It no other book makes <laughs> yeah. you feel like no other book brings out this much emotion. Okay. In comparison to the others. Just because like I mean, hopefully we all know at this point why it's so frustrating and you just like want to shape yeah. everyone around you and mm-hmm. you're just frustrated. And I'm like, what other book does that? You're okay. so invested. I can see it. I can see it. Okay. All right, let's get into the chapters of the book. Fine. Otherwise, we're going to be talking forever. So, uh, fortunately, not too much hap- happens in these three chapters. <laughs> we're going to be able to talk a lot. So, chapter 20 is called Hagrid's Tale. I know that my role in this episode is to be anti the fifth You don't book, have to be anti the book. But I really like these chapters. These good. were some of my favorite chapters well, when I was reading it because a Perfect. lot happens. Good. Oh, you know what other chapter she likes? The rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone just listening, since this is an audio podcast, Alex moved his camera right by his face, which made for a great <laughs> dramatic effect. So Hagrid's tale. Uh, the squad uses the invisibility cloak to go see him because he finally came back and he's looking rough. Super beat up. Looking haggard. Oh, ooh, nice. <laughs> so they ask him what happened, where were you, etc., and he refuses to tell. He puts a dragon meat steak on his eye, just like the scene in the Sandlot where he puts it over his eye when he gets hit with the baseball. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Think it's As great. God intended. They guess that it's giants, and Hagrid, since he has no poker face, is like, what? <laughs> giants? No, no way. How did you know? And they, they <laughs> said that it was just a lucky guess, but it just happened to be the first thing that they guess and they were right great detective work by the squad there was one little detail i loved in this part where they mentioned that ron has gotten so tall he has to crouch over in the invisibility cloak oh yeah to keep his feet from showing i thought that was really That's funny one thing that kind of makes me sad about the movies is that at this point in the book ron is taller than the twins and i think it's like a good time for him to be physically taller than them because he's finally starting to like not stand up to them in a way, but, like, he's on the Quidditch team and he, like, doesn't put up with their bullying as much. He's crawling into his own self. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of bums me out that, like, he's always shorter than I mean, the twins in the books or in the movies just because it kind of makes this weird thing where it it's like a status type thing. But they thing. can't help how oh, they Oh, no, up. of course, but it is just, like, a, an unfortunate detail of the films. That oh, just yeah, there are many sense. unfortunate details missing oh, in the yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this movie, interestingly enough, uh-huh. um, it's the longest book, but it's the second shortest movie. Mm. So a lot was... Cut out? Different. A mm. lot was changed. They made characters for the movie that didn't exist in the book. Whoa, really? Yeah. I'm excited to hate they, this movie. Um, they cut hey. out a lot of... <laughs> Wait, do you like this movie, too? Or are you mad Wait, that yeah. it didn't... I like every movie. Literally every Christmas Eve, my roommates and I watch the entire Harry Potter series of movies, one through oh. eight, in one day. That's what we do for our Christmas Eve. That's really cute. That's nice. Thank you. It's very unhealthy, but it's great. <laughs> if you if you run in between, like you watch a movie run a mile. Oh, no. We power through. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Very physically active. Oh, also that Hagrid puts a dragon stake on his face. Mm-hmm. Rereading it, I found that a little weird because he loves, he loves dragons. dragons. Yeah. He, also eats he them. had a pet dragon, and now he's like, oh, I'm going to slap this dragon meat on my face. Like, it's like a very wasteful thing. He's like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to put it on my face when, like, a potion or a spell would obviously cure well, this. Maybe and I don't need people, to kill a dragon. I mean, some people, I'm sure, love and eat dogs, and that's a thing. 
or people love and eat pigs. Like farmers love their animals, but then still eat them, right? Isn't that is that different? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a like, farmer. I like you lost me. Yeah. Many people love and eat dogs. Well, there's. <laughs> <laughs> I've just thrown off. This is the closest parallel I I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not a vegetarian. (laughs) I am. I also. Oh, you are. You are. Wow, congrats. This is interesting. We can can butt heads on this now, too. (laughs) I totally support vegetarianism. Yeah, no, I'm not against it. I just just eat so much food that it would take me an obnoxious amount of vegetables to keep me, like, satisfied hunger-wise. I just couldn't do it. Well, like, I have a friend who, like, loves cows and pigs and thinks they're adorable and mm. cute and that's part of the reason she's a vegetarian and so like I feel like Hagrid should be the same he loves dragons he thinks they're cute he doesn't think that they're threatening he thinks mm-hmm. that they're perfect pets and he's maybe he just has it to feed one of the magical creatures he takes care of and he doesn't support it but maybe, so. maybe, maybe there's a magical creature that only eats dragon meat sick dragon that died for other reasons <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's just a good gamesman yeah anyway okay anyway harry <laughs> potter so apparently he was looking for giants he was on the search for them and then the kids ask him and you found them and Hagrid replies well they're pretty big you see which i think is a phenomenal reply <laughs> they start telling Hagrid all the stuff that's been going down especially to harry what's happening with the Quidditch thing and Umbridge and her making him cut scars into his hands, all that. And he is appalled, absolutely appalled, doesn't understand why Umbridge is taking how, power. How far into the school year are we right now? Uh, it's almost Christmas time at okay. this point, so halfway point. I um, Hagrid then finally tells them the whole story of everything that went down. So in the summer, Hagrid and Madame Maxime, they were out roughing it together on the search for giants. Oh my God. They, right? Just a great little couple. So moment. That, that spinoff movie would be great. Like, oh, yeah. That would be so good. That should be the, the next Hagrid one. Hagrid and Maxime. That's literally the last spinoff movie I'd ever want to watch mm-hmm. in my entire life. <laughs> It'd be a good buddy cop spinoff. They're looking for giants. They couldn't use magic while they do so because they need to be on the down low. And it took them about a month to get out to their final destination. But they finally found the giants. They are described as being 25 feet tall, and there were roughly 70 to 80 of them in the group. Dumbledore gave Hagrid and Maxime gifts to give to the Gurg, which is the giant word for chief. Dumbledore also coached them on how to approach them, how to speak with them, stuff like that, because Dumbledore's a boss, as we all know. Yes. Um, all of the gifts are magic, because giants are very impressed by magic, since it's not something that they can necessarily do. So the first day, they give them a branch of Gubrathian Gubrathian fire, which means everlasting fire. (laughs) And you learn that the Gurg's name is Carcass. Same. (laughs) Alex Carcass (laughs) Mutard. Love that nickname rolls off the tongue. (laughs) So they said that the next day that they were going to give them another gift. And it turns out that that one is an indestructible battle helmet made by a goblin, which seems like a dope gift. So then they start to talk to the giants a little bit about Dumbledore, and the giants are interested in what they have to say. But the third day, it all goes to hell. Everything goes wrong. Hagrid says that that he mentions that just giants are not meant to all live together like that just because they're too violent of people. So what happened on this third day is a big fight before Hagrid and Maxime could arrive. And when they show up, they see Carcass's head in the bottom of the lake. Oh, no. Which allows for a great joke, because now he's just a carcass. <laughs> um, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... Oh, I'm going to do the rest of this episode by myself. (laughs) So you find out that the new Gurg is a dude named Golgamath, which is a way better name than Carcass, so I totally support his reign. 
I would <laughs> definitely be on Team Golgamath. Hagrid tries to present a gift of dragon skin to Golgamath, but he gets grabbed by his feet and held upside down. Maxime has to use spells to save him, but giants hate that wizards can use magic, which brings up a major concern for me. If giants hate that wizards can use magic, why was it a special direction that all of the gifts that we should give them are magical items? They're fascinated by it, but they don't like it when it's being used against them. Exactly. Uh, yeah, they don't okay. They don't like it being shoved in their face that they can't do magic. Uh-huh. They can't defend themselves when you do magic on them other than, like, their physical strengths or okay. whatever. So they like magic gifts, but not magic happening to them or I mean, around yeah. them. Wouldn't, wouldn't you feel the same way if somebody gave you... Everlasting fire, you'd be like, dang, this is cool. And then mm-hmm. if somebody starts shooting spells at you, you'd be like, what the heck? Stop that. That's not cool. But I probably also wouldn't carry the dude upside down when he tried to give me a gift. Like, what made Golgamath want to attack Hagrid? Giants aren't that great. Giants bright. are. Well, whoa. Okay. Don't mean to offend any giants there. Sorry for Alex's comments to any I'm giants I'm trying listening. to offend. Don't <laughs> fuck with me. I mean, I mean, he says, they say right here that um, giants aren't meant to live. In that large of groups because they uh-huh. do have violent but against tendencies. Each, oh, okay. So they have general violent tendencies, not just against each other. This is another reason why I know you said on previous episodes you've talked about racism in the wizarding world. Yeah. And, like, while remaining sensitive to all of that, mm-hmm. it's just objectively, the wizarding world is very different than the human world. Okay. And while they can touch on racism, mm-hmm. and the obvious racism is bad, um, it's different because the wizarding world is just different. All we know about giants so far is what we know about Hagrid. And we love Hagrid. Hagrid mm-hmm. is gentle and sweet. He's a good friend. He's, you know, he's smart. He's passionate about what he loves to do. Mm-hmm. He's got this kind of semi-tragic backstory that he's risen above and we've grown to really love Hagrid. And that's all that we know about giants. And now learning about them, they're some primitive tribe or pack of wolves or like they almost describe them like they're animals in some cases. Yeah. Like gorillas. In my mind, the, the way they describe them at some points in this chapter is like gorillas. In the wild with gorillas, once male babies become too old to prove their dominance, the, the male in charge will take the, the babies and kill all the ones that they're threatened by. So it's it's kind of like in this chapter, they're describing them more like animals than like people, which is why I don't think it's, at this point, I think the whole comparison to racism kind of falls apart a little bit because just the wizarding world is different. Kelly, I had no idea that your full name was Jane Goodall. (laughs) I wanted to be Jane Goodall when I was little. When I was in the fifth grade, we had a wax museum project where we had to pick a person that we wanted to be in the wax museum. And I put on a yellow raincoat and like jeans and a little stuffed animal gorilla. And I wanted to be Jane Goodall. I love her. I just wanted to be Derek Jeter. (laughs) I had a much simpler. I was Jesse Owens. That didn't work out too well. (laughs) I love Jane Goodall. Okay. For anyone listening, I'm white. That's why it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's continue on. So Hagrid and Maxime could not leave right away. They had to hide out away from the giants because of fear. But they saw a bunch of Death Eaters approaching, and they had a more favorable interaction with the giants, which is not good. Hagrid recognized McNair, who is the one that tried to kill Buckbeak, so screw this guy. Hagrid and Maxime have a new plan, which is basically to try to appeal to some of the other giants that didn't like Golgamath, the ones that are basically getting beaten up. So not necessarily the best team to pick if you're team Maxime and uh, Hagrid, but... 
Golgamath then goes on and tells the Death Eaters about Maxime and Hagrid visiting. So now, in addition to hiding from a giant group of giants that are murdering other giants, they also need to hide from an angry group of Death Eaters that hate Dumbledore. So just a fun little adventure for Maxime and Hagrid. We love it. So romantic. Mm-hmm. What a great first date. Yeah, just bringing them together. So they get six to seven giants on their side, but all six end up being killed by Golgamat's men. So not super great for the team that they assembled. Hagrid uh, is still hopeful, though, that the message will resonate with some of the other ones <laughs> that still oppose Golgamath. But I don't really know, Hagrid. seems like if you don't like Golgamath, you get murdered. Not <laughs> Not really looking too optimistic. This is one of those chapters that I feel like when I was reading it the first time around, I was kind of like, cool, cool. Happy to learn about other facets of the wizarding world. This is great. And then at the same time, like, all right, let's keep going. Where's the story? Where is this going? And this is one of those things that was cut out of the movie that makes the movie so No much way. Shorter. This was cut out of the movie? What? I can't yeah. believe it. I don't it. think it was in their budget. What? They didn't have a scene with 80 CGI giants murdering each other and ripping off someone's head and throwing it into a lake? Yeah. What? It's like one of those things that's cut out and you're kind of like, yeah, I get why it's I'm cut. sensing some sarcasm here and I don't uh, appreciate it. Okay? Do you, re- you really wanted this scene in the movie? <laughs> I want everything in the movies, but also I love the movies. Anyways, I really want them to make that a new series where like each book is like a 10 episode series. It would be so good. <gasps> so like, Can you imagine? That'd be great. Be so I one day that. when they remake these, mm-hmm. I hope they do something. I have a couple of very specific points, which, which okay, we'll talk we'll, about when you get to like six and seven. Okay. But the fifth book is actually one of those points as well. Are you going to say if they are, or is it spoilers? No, I feel like it's... I It'll can't, be spoilers. I, I don't if think it's, it's happened yet. Okay. I don't, don't think it's happened yet. Don't say it. No spoilers. This is a spoiler-free zone. So <laughs> let's see. Hagrid also learned while out here that his mom died years ago. We know that his mom was a giant. Um, her name was like Wolf, Wolf Hilda or something. Dope-ass name. But she's been dead for a couple years. And... The squad wants to know what took him so long to get back since Maxime apparently got back ages ago. And of course, in classic J.K. Rowling fashion, before Hagrid can reveal this, Umbridge walks in. Yay. So we'll learn about this in 12 <laughs> chapters. Hagrid has, has no idea who she is uh, when she comes in and starts talking and doesn't understand what the position is. She, he's like, who are you? And she says, oh, I'm Professor Umbridge. And he's like, oh, what are you? What do you do? And she says, I'm the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. And he's like, what does that mean? So he's very out of the loop, which is great. Umbridge says that she heard voices and saw three sets of footprints. And Hagrid very poorly lies about the entire situation, like garbage poker face about everything. And it very much seems like Umbridge knows that something's up, but can't necessarily prove it. So she just leaves. And she says that she's going to be inspecting his class like she's been doing for all the other teachers and that she's going to do it tomorrow. So dun, 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 ominous. It's not enough time to prepare. I'm just saying. Not at all. He just got back. Yeah. Umbridge leaves. Hermione then tries to convince Hagrid to pick just a really boring creature for them to study in their class because if Hagrid picks anything too dangerous, she's going to freak out. She won't even let them do magic in defense against the dark arts class. If he has anything remotely dangerous, she's going to freak. And Hagrid's like, no way, I'm not going to do that. I have this great thing I've been holding on. It's a surprise, blah, blah, blah. And Hermione's like, no way. I'm coming back tomorrow morning to work on your lessons plan because, and she's got like tears in her eyes as she says this, but she basically says like, they're not going to take Hagrid away from us. And that's the end of chapter 20. So a really cool sentimental ending. Hermione further cementing herself as the best character in the series. Rewrite the books from Hermione's perspective. 
Interesting. <laughs> Who's better than Hermione? Who? Well, no one. My so, favorite character is Sirius Black. Oh, really? He. It's a good choice. He kind of sucks in this book. What? Not gonna lie. He he like. Well, you just like he becomes more real in this book, and it's kind of like you learn he's not so perfect in this one, which I think is good for his character development. But like, he does kind of take some hits. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like him. He is he is good, but he does he is like has his moments in this book where he's a bit immature. Yeah, you'll find out more about him. Not this section of chapters though. Becomes he really has a good like. Head on his shoulders in these. So, um, I'm curious at this point, what do you think has happened to Haggard? Why do you think he was late? Why do you think um, he's all beaten up? Uh, I don't know. I really didn't think about it too much. I'm I would, so happy I didn't say because I yeah, thought you would know um, already. Okay, would, continue. Let's see. I would, let, I'm trying to guess of why he wouldn't say it. I would not be surprised if he somehow had a run in with the Death Eaters and they like maybe held him hostage. Not necessarily held him hostage, but something happened where he like got caught up in Death Eaterness and he doesn't want to say it because he's embarrassed to let people know. Either that or Dumbledore sent him on like a second secret mission that he can't tell anyone about. Those would be my two guesses. But I have no idea. I didn't really give it much thought. I should start giving much thought because it's really fun when I predict things and I I'm super it. wrong. Like Ludo Bagman was totally guilty in that the fourth book. Favorite. Yay. I was the most wrong a human has ever been so in the history of the world. Uh, so let's continue. Hermione comes back the next morning from trying to help Hagrid with lessons plans. Apparently he showed up 30 minutes late because of the creature that he was saving as this big surprise. And Hermione is not pleased because he's not, he wasn't really listening to her when she was giving him advice about how to deal with Umbridge, and he still won't tell her how he got the injuries. So she's not really happy about the situation. See how frustrated you're getting? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this is your case of why it's a good book. I know, book. but that's it's my like, case of why it's a bad book. <laughs> that's what makes it perfect. That's why you guys are both on. So, uh, <laughs> so they, the net, they go to Hagrid's class, and he looks even worse. Some of his bruises are getting discolored and not necessarily the best look. No umbrage is there at the beginning, which is a shocker, so Hagrid starts the lesson. He says that it's going to take place in the Forbidden Forest, so Malfoy starts whining like a little baby, which is great. Always love a good scene where Malfoy just looks like a wimp. Absolutely. Flashback to the last time he was in the Forbidden Forest. Which literally Harry cites in the book. He's like, oh yeah, Malfoy was a little baby last time he had to go in for <laughs> detention. I remember this from Harry. <laughs> Hagrid leaves out a bunch of meat. And the creature you learned is the things from the beginning of the book that only Harry, Neville, and Luna can see. And I've guessed, I believe I've said it on early episodes of the podcast, but my two guesses for this is that one, they are Thestrals, and two, the only reason you can see them is if you've witnessed death before, and you learn that those are the two true things. Wait. So I've been avenged for Ludo Bagman. How did you guess those things, though? Because So I guessed Thestrals because I knew Thestrals were a thing, and we hadn't met them yet, and I was How like, five. Because people have, like, said words, and I've, like, seen the internet before. Oh, so, man. like, the word Thestral has been thrown around, and I'm like, it's the only creature we haven't met yet. And then they mentioned it was like, That's Neville can see them, Harry can see them, and Luna can see them. And we know Neville has seen death, we know Harry's seen death, and Luna's got this weird vague backstory that they're not talking about, which means she's totally seen death. How do you know so, Neville's seen, seen death? Oh, uh, well, he's seen his parents get all fucked up and stuff. It's not death. Ah, it's close enough. He's seen some <laughs> shit. So, well, you, you find out who he actually saw die okay, in this yeah. chapter. Oh, yeah, it's great. Grandpa or whatever. Yeah, but you yeah. didn't know that. I'm assuming that if they if they crucio the crap out of his parents, that someone else got murked along the way. The Longbottoms and Voldemort don't get along. <laughs> well, you're <laughs> not wrong. 
<laughs> so let's see. Umbridge enters with her classic hem hem fake cough, which is gotta hand it to JK. The most frustrating. <laughs> like it makes me want to punch the book every time she says it. Umbridge see? is so well You're invested. This is like <laughs> one thing I give the book's prop is like. She is a very well-written villain because you hate her so much. Like, I don't hate Voldemort that much. I hate Umbridge way more than Voldemort. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Voldemort, the reason I think she's a great villain is because Voldemort... You're never going to meet a Voldemort. In yeah, life. and you, you everyone's might read mad about him in the news. You might read about something comparable, but you're never going to Oh, yeah, in the him. news. You. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you know an Umbridge. I do. I know a lot of Umbridge. I know a couple of Umbridges. Uh, and it's you're like, so the, right. first of all, it's the worst insult that you can throw out. And I don't think you can throw it out lightly because she yeah. is the worst person. The reason why she's such a good villain uh-huh. is because she's in a place of safety. Yeah. And there's no way that you could take her yeah. down, even from the inside. Yep. Ooh, I like like and it's the most frustrating. Yeah. yeah, wow. Like you can you can kill Voldemort and nobody will fault you for it, but if you go out and kill Umbridge, everybody's gonna be like murder. But like, yeah, because it's yeah. everything is so divided at that point. Oh man, I mean, that's just the most. I mean, not real to make it not to make it too political, but there's a lot of people who don't like our current president, and a lot of people afraid that there's no way to get rid of him. So yeah. it's parallels in that regard. There's are like lots of parallels in the fifth book with our current political climate. Yeah. So, I told my grandma, since she doesn't have that many years left, it's her time to take one for the team and just kill Trump. <laughs> oh we are not supporting on this podcast murdering anyone, but... I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just a guest, so you can do whatever. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. So, so Umbridge starts doing this awful thing where she starts writing these really mean notes about Hagrid's lesson and then saying out loud what she's writing. Oh my gosh. And it's really bad. It made me so oh. upset I didn't even write them down in the notes because I didn't want to remember them. But it's so, basically just calling him stupid in multiple different fashions. So Hagrid, the first really hilarious thing in this scene is when she goes, does her little like cough thing. Mm-hmm. He's never heard it before. Yeah. So he starts looking around like where did that noise come from? And he thinks yeah. it's one of the pestles. Oh that yeah, did right, it. He He's like, is, are they okay? Like what made that noise and then and then he realizes it's her and then to his credit while she's doing all this really really horrible stuff mm-hmm. he's like trying to keep the lesson going he's like pushing forward yeah good and, teacher and just like trying to teach something that I think this is a great lesson yeah he starts describing what a Thestral is, and she starts playing dumb like she doesn't know what they are. So then he starts miming out literally, you know, big horse with flapping wings, and he starts doing the motion. I'm doing the angels in the outfield wing as I say this on the <laughs> podcast. Um, she thinks that he's using motions because he doesn't know words well enough. So then every time she talks to him, she starts miming things out like he's a two-year-old and it's super insulting. Well, he's a grown man and a professor. This whole time she's been like talking loudly and slowly too. Yeah, Which true. is where now we can like reintroduce that she's racist. Racism back into yep. this like yeah. situation. This is where it like This is where it comes this, back because she thinks he's dumb just because he's half giant. And we know that Hagrid is not dumb. Yes, and she's like, oh, Oh gosh, it's so it's so. Bad. Look how much you're feeling. Look how much this book makes you feel. You're so invested. Oh man. But also, I I really love this lesson, and I had I didn't know which chapters we were reading when I started this, and when I realized it was this one, I went yes because I love learning about them because I think at this point we've learned so much about the world. This is a great new thing to learn. Yeah. And I think it's something that's kind of beautifully haunting. Okay. And very subtly dark for a children's book. Ah! 
young adults nope, book. Nope, you said it. You said it. I put it in air quotes. As I was doing <laughs> you it. didn't. No, you did not. I was here. No, listen. I'm still at a fourth grade reading podcast. level. <laughs> to this, to me, this book is a goddamn adult <laughs> fantasy fiction. This is something that I feel like our friends at Spirits could help out with. Oh, wow. Shout out to Spirits I, Podcast. Yeah, shout out to They've been on many episodes. They're but, lovely. They're our sister podcast. Go check them out. Anyway. I don't... I think she made up this character. I think she made up this creature. I don't think this is based off of a, a mythological thing. I mean, it's thing. like a dead Pegasus, but yeah. Yeah, but did, I think she came up with the whole concept of you see it after you've seen death. Yeah. I mean, she also came up with the put-outer, though, so can't give I don't, too much But props. I don't know if this is rooted in some sort of mythology. I'd be uh, interested to oh, okay. learn that because sure. a lot of stuff is rooted in mythology in this book and so I think it would be interesting to know if this isn't but I, I actually think she came up with it on her own and I think it's a really hauntingly beautiful creature and I like I just like that it's a part of something I'm with learning. you there oh wait mm-hmm. is that another great thing about this book <laughs> <I'm just laughs> Alex is getting a lot of points <laughs> oh man so she I'm keeping a tally over here I've got more she starts walking and talking to students in the class and asking them questions which seems horrible you're interrupting the lesson like can't you just wait until this is over that makes no sense to me you're interrupting a man that is trying to teach students to ask them like so is Hagrid good with words like it's so stupid Hagrid is very confused and Hermione is so angry that she is in tears Further proving she's the best character in the book. Umbridge, like, tries to put words into Neville's mouth about Hagrid being dumb. And Neville's like, no, I'm not saying that at all. And she continues to not listen to him properly. And then she does her classic, like, you'll get the results of this inspection in 10 days' time. But mimes out every single word of it. It's just so angry. It was it made me really upset. I was so frustrated. So, yes, Alex, feeling all of the things while I was reading. Yep. I don't know. It makes me feel so... That's the point, though. I'm comfortably angry. That's the point. So Hermione is just absolutely furious because, again, as we pointed out a little bit ago, she just thinks it's Umbridge being racist, not giving Hagrid any sort of chance because he's half giant. You know, he's obviously he has to be dumb. So that's Hermione rightfully thinking that Umbridge is a racist. She also thinks that the Thestrals were cool and that it was a good lesson. And she says, oh, I wish I could have seen them. And Harry's like, really? And she goes, oh, right. That was super insensitive, which I thought was a great move by Harry. He's usually really sassy when he butts in. But this was a super valid butt in by Harry. So shout out. I think he said, um, he says, he says, do you, Harry, asked her quietly. And I can just see that in my heart Uh, breaks. The way he says it is Mm -hmm. just like. He's not like, oh, really? He's not sassy. Yeah. Oh, it's no, just like, no, I'm not trying to say that. It's very sassy. real. And it just like, I read that line and my my heart just broke for him. Because like, it, you know, as you're reading this, you're like, oh, man, I would hate to be one of the kids that couldn't see it. And then Hermione actually says that. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, shoot, I'm also insensitive. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about how deep this actually is. I just, I thought that was a beautiful moment. Yeah. I feel like I'm supporting this book more than you are. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sitting back smug ah! because you're proving all his points. I know. I didn't have yeah. to do anything. Oh, I'm just so soaking gr- it all in. <laughs> so wait, at the end of this podcast, you declare a winner or no, something? No, there's no winner. The, the true winner is me because I guessed Thestrals, right? Oh That's all God. that matters. Okay. Makes okay. up for Ludo Bagman complete. <laughs> Typical straight white man taking okay, all the glory. let's not bring my... <laughs> My race and sexual preference into that. That's what I'm here for. That's all I do. <laughs> okay. So uh, Christmas is approaching. Harry actually really wants to go away for Christmas because with Quidditch being banned, which sounds like an amazing thing, uh, and Hagrid probation looming and no uh, Dumbledore's army meetings, Harry's like, what's the point of sticking around? Hermione's also going away and going skiing, which Ron 
had never heard about, which again cements that Arthur Weasley for being obsessed with muggles is not that obsessed with muggles because he's never told Ron about skiing, which is one of the dopest things you can do as a muggle. And there's no way he's like, oh, Ron, muggles do this great thing in the snow where they ski. Like Arthur for loving muggle stuff doesn't know a lot about muggle stuff or at least doesn't tell his kids anything. Or Ron's just tuning him out. He's like, yeah, dad, whatever. Uh, Yeah, it's like another day on the job. uh, (laughs) Like, I, I, my dad loves his job. He's a geophysicist and I can't tell you how many conversations we've had of him teaching me about rocks. And I remember some of it, but I don't remember all of it. Okay. Like, he loves geeking out and teaching about rocks. Well, my dad left me, so. Oh, no. I'll be your dad. I'll adopt you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm a great fan. I need a sugar daddy. That's for damn sure. Um, not me. Well, uh, unless this podcast becomes real famous, then I'll be your sugar daddy. Thank you. <laughs> so get on it. Just tell all your friends about it. Um, <laughs> also, with Ron leaving, that further makes Harry not want to go. But then Ron turns around and he's like, wait, Harry, you're coming with me too, right? <laughs> Harry's confused. And he goes, oh, yeah, didn't I tell you? My mom told me to invite you like three weeks ago, <laughs> which is love Ron. This is such a classic 15-year-old boy move, too. Yeah, oh, yep. for sure. The, oh, the number man. of times I've done this <laughs> through the roof. So Harry's sad that he's not going to be able to see Sirius during the break because he imagines Molly is not going to invite Sirius over because they are, quote, so often at the loggerheads when they are together, which I think is the most British way to say they argue with each other. Google loggerheads. I'm assuming loggerheads are like drunk, angry people. Oh, oh, is that, is it? What? I'm just thinking logger. I'm gonna, oh no, logger, L-O-G-G-E-R. Oh, never mind. Not (laughs) loggerheads. Okay, don't come at me. A loggerhead is a reddish brown turtle with a very large head. Occurring mm. chiefly in warm seas. It but is also a widespread North American shriek, having mainly gray plumage with a black eye stripe, wings, and tail. Uh, I don't <laughs> know what that is. The original oh, meaning, meaning of this phrase. Origin. At loggerheads is of UK origin. The singular loggerhead occurs as a name in several contexts as a species of turtle. Originally, loggerhead was none of these things, but was me. Oh, but was used with the meaning of the term for a stupid person or a blockhead. And then it became the name of a turtle? Oh, so it, it, it's basically another way to say, like, fisticuffs, where you're just argumentative about something. Oh. So, what came first, the turtle or, or the loggerhead? Who knows? <laughs> or but, just angry drunk people. I think I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Loggerhead <laughs> also kind of works. Hey, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, who make this show possible. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club 
is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% off get, your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack is 40 bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyway, that's Arena Club. Sports nerd, Pokemon nerd, or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, so doesn't think that he's going to be able to see serious. So it's the last Dumbledore's Army meeting in the school year. I love Dumbledore's Army. I'm so sad there were no, there was none of that in this chapter for me. Really. Well, there's a little bit. There's a little bit. I get a little so, bit. Yeah. so Dobby's surprised by decorating the room with Christmas decorations, Yay. which also features 100 babules, ba- baubles, I don't know, 100 little glass spheres that have Harry's face on them. And they say, have a very Harry Christmas. So <laughs> son of a bitch. I, this book has made me go from I hate Dobby to I love him because he's been awesome. He's been really sweet. And now he's done a pun. I love him. And I'm so mad about it. But I love Dobby so much now. And it makes me sad because I wanted to hate him. I hate that I love him. And Alex is the Biggest ear to ear grin on I've ever seen. Like, I just like can't wait for all of us to realize that I'm right. <laughs> Let's see when we get to the next chapter because the next chapter makes me upset. So uh, Harry manages to take down all of them before anyone can go in. Perfect timing. Angelina Johnson comes in, reveals that Ginny is the new seeker of the Quidditch team, yeah. which I think is dope. I think that's mm-hmm. the best thing. You also learn that Andrew Kirk and Jack Sloper are the new beaters, <laughs> and they just sound like they're bad at Quidditch. Like, it's just a, it's right off the bat. They don't sound like they're very good. And Angelina confirms that they're not as good as the twins. Mm. So Harry decides that the lesson for this week's meeting is just going to be a recap of what they learned. And Zacharias pops up. He's the worst. Not a big fan. And he's like, oh, I would have skipped if I knew that. And then Fred says, well, we're all sorry that Harry didn't tell you. So Fred, (laughs) further proven to be the best twin. He's really killing it this book. Like, a lot (laughs) of the really good quotes are coming specifically from Fred. Neville, in this lesson, is doing super well. His spells are going phenomenally. He's he's very much improved and everyone else is doing well, too. Harry is very impressed with everyone. So the lesson ends, and as it's doing that, Harry mentions that 
after they get back from Christmas break, they're going to start to do more serious stuff since everyone has been progressing so well, and they might even start to learn Patronuses, which has everyone really excited. The the people start to leave. Harry does a hang back on purpose thing since Cho hasn't left, which is so smooth. The number of times I've utilized that. Oh, you got to do like you creep in the back kind of thing. It's classic for like socially awkward people. 15-year-old Yeah. Boy. Oh, awkward <laughs> high school. You're like finding excuses to stay like, oh, I think I left my coat over here. Where's my keys? Oh, going to use the bathroom real quick. It's great for awkward teenagers, which I was for however many years you're allowed to be a teenager. So he hangs back and Cho tells her friend to leave so that she can talk to Harry one-on-one so he starts getting all flustered. (laughs) (laughs) But then Cho starts crying because she wonders if Cedric knew how to do all this stuff. Harry confirms that he did and that he was very good at it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to manage as far as he did in the maze. Harry has a bit of a creepy moment then when he mentions that Cho looks really pretty when she's crying, which I think is kind of weird. It's like, oh, Harry thought she looked really pretty with tears in her eyes and puffy bags around them. I was like, ah, dude, not the best. This whole thing. This whole interaction made me really uncomfortable, and I don't like Cho Chang. But listen, to Cho's credit, at least she's a pretty crier. (laughs) Shout out, because I, uh, not everyone can be that. But then Harry, again, has a really, another bad thing that I didn't like, is that her crying, like, really bums him out. And he's like, oh, I wish she just said Merry Christmas to me and didn't like dump all this sadness on me. It's like, dude, her boyfriend got murdered. Can you let her be sad? I really didn't like these two thoughts that Harry had through his head. Not ideal. Then Cho notes that there's mistletoe above them. And I was like, yo, you are literally currently crying about Cedric and you're going to try to make out with Harry. I'm not a big Cho Chang fan. I'm very team anti Cho Chang. She's just a little torn. So these are like. (laughs) 15 and 16 year old teenagers where her boyfriend died and the other guy that she likes was there to watch it. This is some very, very dark stuff for both of them to be dealing with. Harry's dealing with like the guilt of it. Also the fact that he still likes her. She's dealing with the guilt of it, the sadness of it, and the fact that she kind of likes Harry now, which also makes her feel guilty. And so I just feel like this whole interaction is uncomfortable, and that's exactly what it be what it would be in real life because it's. But like, like so you could not be like, oh hey, there's mistletoe. Like you can like Harry, but not just do a super obvious "I want to kiss you" move. I thought this, that was a bit too much. I'll do it. Who for Harry or Cho Chang? You know both, or just in general. I don't discriminate. <laughs> <laughs> So she says, I really like you, Harry. And then it says she like leans in, gets really close, and then cut to Harry talking to the squad because J.K. Rowling couldn't describe the kiss. We have to find out about it four Uh, paragraphs later. Like we didn't know what was happening. The scene in the movie is horrible, by the way. Of course it is. Then Harry starts talking to the squad and it takes him a whole page to finally blurt it out. Ron asks, how was it? And Harry says, wet, because she was crying. And then Ron's like, oh, are you that bad at kissing? Which is amazing. He's really like started to grasp the comedic wit of the twins and I'm loving it. I really am. 
Hermione then mentions, oh yeah, Cho cries all the time. She cries in class. She cries in the lunchroom. She cries in the bathroom. She's always crying about Cedric. And I was like, oh my God, this is not good. She's Get not- this girl a therapist, please. Yeah, like yeah. her boyfriend is dead. She should like take a breather. Hogwarts really needs to invest in a therapist. Oh my God, they students. need so many things. Mental health yes. is real health. This yes. episode of Potterless Podcast is sponsored by- Dr. Phil. I didn't like that. I didn't like it. It was the only doctor that I could think of off the top of my head. Well, at least you didn't How say Dr. Like, Oz. the American mm. Association of Mental Health Awareness or something? Yes. Yeah. Is that a real thing? We yeah. can do that. Yeah, then <laughs> we're going donate to them. Better than Dr. Phil. Mental health is real health. Um, oh, and then Hermione very accurately describes what Cho is going through, which is literally what we just said, Kelly, yeah. that oh, she's yeah. got mixed emotions of liking him, still liking Cedric, feeling bad that she's moving on, but Cedric's not there anymore, so all this other stuff. And then Hermione, Hermione basically says, well, this is only going to make things worse. And then they just move on. The, Her- the best thing she said was, you are the most insensitive wart I have ever had the misfortune to <sighs> Who said this? Hermione said this to Harry or to Ron? Hermione said this to Ron. Oh, but they're going to get married. It's okay. It's he, fine. She, he says, you think a bit of kissing would cheer her up, said Ron oh, Grinning. Yeah. Ron said Hermione in a dignified voice, <laughs> dipping the point of her quill into her ink pot. You were the most insensitive ward I have ever had the misfortune to meet. Yeah, that's your future husband, Hermione. <laughs> Get it together. So, Hermione is writing a letter, and Ron asks, who are you writing to? Yeah. She says, Victor. And he, surprised, goes, crumb? And she goes, how many Victors do we know? Which, uh, I love their little witty banter. It's so good. They're gonna be the best couple ever. Just one of those couples that makes fun of each other all the time. Big fan of that. And then they sat in silence awkwardly. Yeah, but they'll get over it. (laughs) So then they go back to the dorm. Ron Ron asks Harry, like, what does Hermione see in Crumb? And Harry says, well, he's older and he's an international Quidditch player. (laughs) And then Ron responds, yeah, but besides that, which, oh, so good. So good. And then Ron's like, you know, he's He's a little grouchy, right? And Harry says, well, yeah, I guess he's grouchy. That's the only thing. Like, that'll do it, Ron. That's really going to seal the deal. She's not going to like him because he's a like, bit temperamental. Ron's acting like a total grouch right now. Yeah, it's so, like, so good. The pot calling the kettle black. Harry then has a nightmare, and this is an important thing. He has a nightmare where it first starts with some lame, typical Cho Chang, you know, awful, I'm having a dream about the person I like and things go wrong dream. But then it just flips, and he has the point of view of a snake and is slithering through a big hallway. And then it goes and it attacks a man. And this is why this chapter is called The Eye of the Snake. And Harry wakes up in a cold sweat to Ron yelling and like, Harry, you're freaking out. What's going on? You're having a nightmare. And he throws up and then tells Ron, your dad's in danger. Your dad has been attacked. And it's like, oh, my God. Harry, maybe, attacked Mr. Weasley in his dream slash real life? What's going on? Neville then runs to get McGonagall. The kids don't really believe Harry when he says that Ron's dad is in danger, big snake bite, etc. But once he says this to McGonagall, her face drops and she says, we gotta get you to Dumbledore. And that ends chapter 21. Now we get into chapter 22, St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. The last chapter we'll be covering on this episode of Butterless. Also, I love how quickly this scene happened. We're talking about, like... Cho and them kissing and Victor Crumb and then all of a sudden this dream lasts for literally like two paragraphs. And it's way more important. And then Harry (laughs) wakes up, he's sick, he's like in an entirely different mental state and 
everything falls apart all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't actually decide if I like how fast it happens. But. Mm, yeah, you should have focused more on that than the wet kiss. Uh, <laughs> or Harry taking a whole page to blurt out that he kissed her. So, St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Melodies and Injury, or SMHMMI for short. So, the thought is, oh no, Mr. Weasley's there when I see the title. So, Ron joins Harry and McGonagall. They go to Dumbledore's office and they tell him. And he, first off, understands exactly what Harry means asks the point of view that it's from so he can get clarity. And Harry says, I was the snake. It was me. So Harry gets frustrated that people aren't really grasping the severity of it. But then he also gets mad that Dumbledore won't look him in the eye. And it's like, get it together, Harry. Dumbledore's got more important things going on than to make eye contact with you. He's got to save the world and Umbridge and Mr. Weasley. He's got other things on his mind than looking you in the eye every time he speaks to you. Ugh. Sassy Harry returning is not my thing. Well, no, I'd be frustrated, too, being in Harry's position, because obviously Harry knows that he's, like, a very key player in everything that happens from this point forward. The information that he gave McGonagall made McGonagall react the way that she did. Obviously, it was important here as well. And then if Dumbledore is just going about doing whatever and avoiding Harry at all costs, I'd be like, listen to me, like... I already know that what is happening is very important and you need to be telling me what's happening. And he just wants answers and I totally get it. Okay. This is kind of like a theme right now too that he feels like Dumbledore is kind of avoiding him. Yeah, this is true. He's been pissed about it the whole Something really big is going down. I need you to stop avoiding me and like talk to me about this. I get it. Valid, valid, valid. So Dumbledore calls upon Everard and Dillis, which are not names, who were in paintings in his office to help out and sound the alarm. You learn that they were some of the top heads of Hogwarts. All the paintings in there are the previous heads of Hogwarts. They were some of the best. And the reason he calls upon them is that they have paintings in other important buildings. And if you are a painting soul person and you have a painting in multiple places, Mm -hmm. you can kind of teleport between the two. So he sends them specifically to go somewhere else. You don't learn where, but you basically kind of gather that it's probably the Ministry of Magic. So Dumbledore uses some instrument to make a snake appear at a smoke. Then he murmurs some stuff that Harry can't really hear. It splits into two snakes and then he turns it off. So at first I was really confused, but then by the end of this chapter when Moody reveals that Harry might be possessed by Dumbledore or by Voldemort while this is going on. Maybe that's what the two split head snake means that like it's Nagini, but then also Harry. That's the only thing I can kind of guess by this. Again, J.K. Rowling doesn't describe this, which means 10 chapters from now, she'll explain everything. Everard got someone to get Mr. Weasley covered in blood, says he looks super rough, but they're bringing him to St. Mungo's. McGonagall is sent to wake up the rest of the Weasleys. Dumbledore says that Molly's probably going to find out either by Fox, who Dumbledore sent out to sound an alarm, or the Weasley clock that says when everyone's okay, we'll let her know what's going down. Love that clock. So good. Wouldn't it be a dope clock to have? I love that clock. Yeah. Except if you have one where it's like, what are all your friends doing? And like, oh, hanging out without me. <laughs> oh, no. It's like Snapchat stories. <laughs> everyone's yeah. at the bar. Oh, like the yeah. snap map where it's like, everyone's hanging out without me. Oh, I'm not cool. Find my friends. Um, Look at that advertisement oh, for the friends. Snapchat map is like, find out what your friends are doing without you. Yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah, really good. Glad they advertise it as that because once they saw that, everyone's like, okay, hide my location. Let's see. So Dumbledore then goes to a painting of a dude named Phineas, and he says he needs to deliver a message to his other portrait. Phineas fakes yawning, claims to be too tired, and then all the other paintings start yelling at him like, hey, it's your job to listen to Dumbledore. Harry says the voice sounds familiar, and then he remembers that it's one of the ones in Grimmauld Place where Sirius is, so that's why Dumbledore needs him to deliver the message. Do you know who he is at this point? you, You learn that he's... Sirius's great great grandfather. 
but we don't really know anything about him. Just that he was, he's the great grandfather of Sirius. Oh, okay, great grandfather, and he was a a previous headmaster. That's all you really learn. Okay. So the message that he needs to deliver is that Harry and the Weasleys are coming over. The kids come in. Dumbledore says they're going to use a port key because the flu network is being watched. Fox, who had been sent out to warn people and Dumbledore, his flame starts flashing. And you learn that that warning is to know if Umbridge wakes up, which I think is the greatest warning ever. It's like the British are coming, but for freaking Umbridge, which I just love that Dumbledore made. It was like, hey, go out and let me know if that awful lady wakes up. I mean, he knows. So she must have some spider sense because... Dumbledore is like, oh, no, she must know that you're up. And then tells McGonagall, fend her off, quote, tell her any story, which is, uh. Do we find out what story she tells her? No, but you just. I would love to hear that. Oh, that would be really fun. McGonagall spinoff movie, I would also be behind (laughs) because McGonagall's so good. As long as they keep that actress, she's great. Oh, Maggie, the most perfect casting job, I think, in the history of the world. Yeah. Just the perfect level of sass mixed with expertise, mixed with high status, mixed with being reasonable. Oh, she was so perfect. So then she leaves, and the description is she's, quote, gone in a swish of tartan. Is tartan a color? Uh, is it a smell? I'm going to Google tartan, and I bet everyone on Twitter's going to be like, you didn't know what tartan was? I don't know. What are you? Well, then I'm going to be an idiot, too, because I don't know. Tartan is a pattern consisting of crisscrossed horizontal vertical bands in multiple colors. Oh, it's Scottish. Oh, because she's Scottish. So she must have been wearing... A tartan nightgown or whatever. You know, I never really imagined it that way, but sure. So it's just a Scottish way to say plaid? Yeah, sure. Right? It's just like Scottish plaid. <laughs> I have a tartan tie in that case. Uh, so anyway, God, wouldn't that be the worst at a party? Oh, I like your plaid tie. Uh, it's tartan, actually. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the worst human in the world. <laughs> Suddenly you have nobody to talk to at the party. What? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. No one likes me anymore. So she's gone into Swiss of tartan. Uh, and <laughs> just before Harry uses the port key, just before he grabs it, he looks Dumbledore in the eye. His scar starts hurting like a mofo. And he has this internal desire to lash out and do the same bite thing that happened to Arthur Weasley to Dumbledore. But then he grabs a port key and goes, super creepy, super duper creepy. What do you think is going on? Uh, It's Dumbledore trying to possess him. Or not Dumbledore, Voldemort trying to possess him. Because you learn this later in the book. And with the scar hurting and the feeling of this, it's got to be that. Because we know the scar kind of links him to Voldemort. So I think that's got to be some sort of thing where Voldemort, now that he's getting more powerful, might be able to do that. So, I don't know. Kind of creepy. We'll see what happens. So, <laughs> uh, they go back to the house. Harry tells all the kids what happened. Then they want to go to St. Mungo's, but Sirius says, no, the hospital hasn't even told Molly. So, if they walk into a hospital and they say, oh, we know that Arthur Weasley's hurt, they're going to think it's super creepy. And then there's this fight back and forth between Fred and George and Sirius, where Sirius says, oh, we got to protect the order. And Fred and George are like, screw the order. And then they go back and forth. And then finally, Molly comes back I in the morning. That was- and settles. Petty of Fred and George. Yeah. I, I understand that they're upset. I understand that they're they, like. They just don't get it. They're kids and their dad their is about to die. You can't blame them. Hurt. I get it. But that whole scene, like. A little cringy. A little cringy. Like it made me feel upset because we love Fred and George and we love Sirius and they're fighting and Fred and George are saying like some pretty mean things. Yeah, they and do yell at Sirius for not, like, putting his life at the line yeah, because and, he can't really do anything. Yeah, and you know anything. Sirius wants to, and it's just, mm-hmm. like, really painful from his perspective. But at the same time, 
Like you're like. This is something where I really like serious and, and he kind of like gained some points for me back is that he's getting yelled at by these kids, but he still keeps it together and has a level head. As and it even mentioned it's like serious took a deep breath and said in a calm voice, trust me on this, et cetera, et cetera. So shout out yeah. to serious and shout out to you, Alex, your favorite character. Thank <laughs> you. <Ew. laughs> That's a great picture. So many points for Alex today. Oh, I'm just taking them all in. <laughs> So Sirius grabs butterbeers for them. He's like, come on, we got to wait it out. Let's grab some butterbeers and chill. There's a great quote where it says, Harry was only drinking because he didn't know what to do with his hands. Same. Yeah, honestly, every social situation ever. (laughs) Just the most same. Like the glass is empty, but you pretend like you're still drinking out of it? The amount of times I've grabbed a glass of water anywhere just so that I can do something. Like I'll be at a party. It's like, give me a red solo cup. Let me fill it with water. I don't want to get drunk, but I don't want to just be standing there not doing anything. So (laughs) relatable by Harry. Harry is having this internal freak out about the whole situation. And then Fox comes in with a letter from Molly, basically telling the kids, Arthur is safe. He's alive. I'm on my way to St. Mungo's. You guys can head there in the morning. So the morning comes and they head there with Tonks and Moody and all the kids go. They have to dress up as muggles because St. Mungo's is hidden in a muggle shopping center. You learn that it's hidden inside of this old department store, like a rundown Maisie's that's, quote, closed for refurbishment for the past 10 years. (laughs) And you hear these two sassy ladies walk by go, this place is never open, which I think is a great side character. I want to follow them more and just see their life. (laughs) Sassy ladies that are upset that Macy's hasn't been open for the past decade. You learn that it's like a window shopping thing. So they're not, they're not inside. It's window shopping. They're just looking at the window and there's mannequins and they start telling the mannequins that they're there to see Arthur Weasley. And Harry's like, nothing's going to happen. But then the mannequins turn their head and then nod. And then they blue (laughs) skidoo through the glass, just like you do a platform nine and three quarters they kind of just meld into the glass and harry is confused he's like didn't anyone see us just disappear which i love that he isn't really a concern when they're in king's cross one of the busiest subway stations in the world but when they're in this shopping center by this abandoned macy's harry freaks out like wait didn't anyone see us just teleport through this glass I really don't like that this is a thing. I feel like if the whole thing is wizard secrecy, there's got to be better ways to do this. What about one of those doors that says, like, employee access only, but they get to walk in? Wouldn't that be way better? Um, because then then people walking by would just be like, oh, they must be employees. Right? No, because it's a 14-year-old kid. 15-year-old kid. Sorry, internet. It's a 15-year-old kid. <laughs> Everyone direct your hate towards <laughs> I just never try to find logic in <laughs> fiction books. <laughs> This probably smart. I just go with it. I feel like I feel like there's some <laughs> yeah. there's some kind of cloaking spell going on around here that they can't be. That seen. they can't actually. You see, still yeah. need to have this kind of thing. You need a hospital in a central location because lots of people. I just I just it. don't like that they walk through a glass window. There's got to be a better way to do you it. Let them to like go through a like a door. Oh, that only How wizards can open with a spell. How do you feel about the whole um like the telephone booth thing? Oh, not good because it very slowly descends. That's awful. The three taps to outside of the leaky cauldron to get into Diagon Alley. Super good. Who's gonna tap three random bricks in sequential order with a wand? They need more stuff like that. That was the first one. J.K was great off the beginning and then it got um, all downhill. I really liked the telephone view thing. I thought that was awesome. But they, they describe it as very slowly going. So what if a car drives by and There's then it's like, what the? It. There's oh, a cloaking spell on it. You can't uh, see it going. Magic, blah, 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 whatever. Such a cop out. Anyway, they go what? through. It's a bug. It's they a go through and the glass feels like water, but they come out dry on the other end. They're in the hospital. Then we get like a million and a half pages of them walking through the hospital and meeting people that don't matter and getting directed to the wrong rooms and all these different things. This is where I got, I started to get mad at the book again because there were 10 
pages of describing them walking through the hospital where nothing mattered at all. Like, nothing of substance. Then they finally get to the room where Arthur is. And Arthur is just in the, the highest of spirits possible. They ask him, like, how are you feeling? And he's like, oh, I would have been home already if they would let me take off these bandages. And they're like, why won't they let you take off the bandages? <laughs> and he goes, well, if I take them off, I start bleeding profusely. So got to keep them on. Whatever poison was in that snake won't let my wounds heal. <laughs> He's just so optimistic about it. I love it. Arthur Weasley is just such a happy-go-lucky, lovely soul. The real MVP. Yeah. Gotta love him. So they say that the the nurses are trying to work out a remedy for the poison so that he can eventually take out these bandages. Harry at one point asks if there are doctors in the hospital when they're going through. And Ron goes, oh, those nutty muggles that cut people up, which I think I want to describe everyone that I know in med school. Just be like, wait, you want to study to be a nutty muggle that cuts people up? I think it's way better. (laughs) So good. And because they don't have doctors at this hospital, they have healers. So they basically just try to find potions or charms or something that can remedy whatever is wrong with people. When they said there were healers, my first thought was that there were a bunch of chanseys walking around. Oh my god! <laughs> using, oh my like, god! So good. Like we need a world Pokemon Harry Potter crossover. It'd be so <laughs> yep. good. Oh my god! They're using Pokemon and wizard duels instead of wands, or both at the same time. They accio the. Oh my god! Oh, that'd be so. Oh. Fan fiction writers, get on it. Make it happen. Uh, (laughs) Weird series. So they talk to Mr. Weasley, and Fred starts kind of pressing Harry in the presence of his dad to try to see if his dad has a reaction. And Fred asks Harry, hey, doesn't Voldemort have a giant snake? And Harry says, yeah, but Mr. Weasley doesn't react. And at this point, Molly's like, all right, kids, get out of there. So they send the kids out. But Fred and George have all their extendable ears, so they listen in on the conversation. So Tonks and Moody go in, and they're talking with Molly and Mr. Weasley. What the adults kind of talk about is that they think it's Nagini as a spy. Moody is suspect of Harry of late, just with all the kind of stuff that's been going on. Molly thinks that Dumbledore expected Harry to have a vision like this because of the description of Dumbledore not necessarily being surprised by what was going on and being super prepared for what was going on. So Molly thinks that's a little suspicious. And they don't explicitly mention where Arthur was, but isn't it highly implied that he was in the Ministry of Magic? That's the vibe that I got because when the kids were in the room, they started to say something like, oh, if the Ministry found out that a snake was and then got cut off and tried to change the subject or something. So I'm pretty sure that they're beating around the bush that Arthur was in the Ministry of Magic and then the snake was in there. So then it's this weird suspect thing of how did a giant snake get in in the Ministry? Was Lucius Malfoy play, Death Eater, all kind of stuff like that. Where in the Ministry were they? I don't know. They mentioned something about like a long corridor with it. So I don't know. I don't know what's on the Ministry. Interesting. Because I also didn't like the chapters where they described the whole Ministry layout. And if that turns out to be important, I'd be really upset because those chapters were really boring. (laughs) I probably missed over an important detail, but so, it's okay. No, J.K. will tell me in no, 20 pages. So. so, But then the last thing is Moody saying, if you know who is possessing Harry, we're in trouble. And then Harry freaks out. And that's the end of the chapter. First of all, I think Harry's really great for as soon as he woke up, he told Ron what happened. And he told Ron it was from his point of view. And then he oh, has right, trouble right, right. every single time he has to say it after that. He feels guilt mm-hmm. and guilt. And when he's in front of Fred and George he and Ginny, he doesn't say it. And then when he's 
does he say it to Mr. Weasley? But, he, but no, he only says it to Sirius. He like, he like senses some resentment from them. He senses yeah. like that he's not supposed to be there, and yet he stays there. And then Mr. Weasley just like beaming at him and loving him and being like the only person really in this situation that he feels mm-hmm. appreciation for. And Molly did the same thing of thanking Harry for alerting everyone so quickly about yeah right yeah, and, like, and he's and freaked out by that too because like, he feels responsible. At, at this point, up until he gets into the hospital, like nobody has. Has thanked him for what he did. Well, he Molly went, did, and so did yes, the teachers, but none of the oh, none of the no, kids. Like, McGonagall didn't, and Dumbledore didn't. Like, they didn't oh say yeah, anything. but they're just like acting so quick. But I yeah, know, I get, but it, like, I get it. like he's in this terrible. He said this terribly traumatic experience where he witnessed mm-hmm. this thing happen. He did but this then thing. Mr. He wakes Mrs. up. Mrs. Weasley sick. or basically his parents are happy and proud. And of him. Th- yeah, so like like kudos for for Harry on this. Yes, these pages were very. Dull. I mean, there's just like ten pages of just like describing a, and, the hospital. And I, and it doesn't I matter. Like, skips on them to save a little bit of time. <laughs> but like, Valid. do but, you support the description of the hospital, Alex? I just like a picture to be painted for me. <laughs> <laughs> just love so, scene painting and world building. I'm a very visual learner. Did you love the Bob Ross show growing up? Did you watch that all um, the time? I watch it I now did. to fall asleep. It's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Happy little trees. That's so great. Happy little trees. Uh, so you said in previous podcasts mm-hmm. that you hate this like whole fluffy everything. And up until this point, I do not agree with you uh-huh. because I don't think that there is any fluff in Harry Potter. She's building uh, a world. There's lots of fluff in the she's, fifth book. She's in, okay. Besides the fifth <laughs> book. In the fifth book, there's fluff. I take that uh, back. I don't think that there's that much unnecessarily unnecessary fluff. Sure. Outside of the fifth book. Because she's building a world. Okay. And we need to understand okay. that world. Yeah. And I think she does an excellent job of hiding oh. little clues and hints throughout all seven books, which makes the rereading process a lot of fun and makes it really fun the first time you go around to hunt for the Easter eggs. I mean, that's so what I've been doing, which is why it takes me forever to read these books. I <laughs> encourage you in these fluffy parts to hunt and remember as much as you All can. All right, we'll see. Maybe I'll have to read this because I breeze through these hospital chapters because I was bored. I mean, I don't know about these hospital chapters. <laughs> I'll show you some fluffy parts. Ooh. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to end the podcast. <laughs> so, Alex and Kelly, thank you so much for being a part of this. I'm so glad we were able to have someone that loved the book and also Alex on the podcast. Me. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second, what? I was what making a happen? joke that you said you hated it, but you talked all about the redeeming qualities. I can't say that I hate any Harry Potter. Okay, good. It's just your least favorite. If you had to pick a least favorite. This is the one. This is the one. Cool. That's fine. Valid. But all of your points were made very true, Alex, so you are vindicated. Thank you. Thank you to my fans, <laughs> to my mother for always supporting me, and to my brother for agreeing on one so, thing once. I, I do have a question in my life. If this is your favorite book, what is your least oh, favorite? Yeah, which book? one do you know? My least favorite book is The Chamber of Secrets. Valid, nothing really happens. I, I it contributes before, almost nothing. Before recording this, I was looking up to try and find like definitive rankings of the books uh-huh. to try and support my claim oh, that God. this was the worst one. And and a lot of those rankings, actually, the Chamber of Secrets was ranked. There's just the nothing worst. happened in the second one. Like you didn't really get anything. I just find it the most I annoying. I think that where you say that this book was a big turnaround for the series, I think the second book is where she starts to lay her Easter eggs. Interesting. That's where she really starts the process of building towards the seventh book, in my opinion, and so that's hmm. why I don't dislike it. Okay. I will also just say that the fifth book also sets the new tone. Yeah, from yeah the it does. Series. It is a lot darker. Returning, it really does yeah. kind of yeah. turn it. 
We're but aging all it's the characters valid. very It's quickly. valid. I'm excited for the ending. People have really hyped up the ending of the book, so I'm super looking forward to that. I know. I can't wait to hear it. Your reaction. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> so good. I'm so so thank you guys both for joining. Kelly, you can find on potterlesspodcast.com because she is our web designer. So <laughs> everyone should go check that out because it's some awesome stuff and we're adding new features to it. Alex, you, what, you're at Alex Moodhart on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you're looking to plug? No, nope, that that's all? it. I'm good. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks for joining. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. And as they say in the Wizarding World, all the time at the beginning and end of every class, Wizard on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Potterless was created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert, as well as Andreas Ozelby, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Michael Vanderslice, Sadie Bear, Emily Whiffen, Chandra Cruz, Jesse Horgan, Maggie Zobazek, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkes, Daisy Kjartenstadter, Klaus Lopu, Michael Buch, Sean Jones, and Alexander Stark. Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find us on any of your preferred podcasting apps. If you leave us a rating and review on iTunes, that really does help so much, and it helps more people find the podcast. You can find us on any social media. Just search for Potterless Podcast. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world, wizard on! With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.